key to life. Hello, this is Sekou Burmese, your host of The Lit Review, a podcast brought to you by the Academy of Management Journal. In this podcast, we dive into the insights of recent research published in the journal and interview authors and corporate leaders to discuss the inspiration for those ideas, as well as insights that can apply to current pressing issues in organizations and markets. This episode, I speak with Hatim Rahman, an assistant professor of management and organizations at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. In our conversation, we talk about a recent paper he published in AMJ with co-authors about digital labor platforms and how experimentation by platform designers can impact worker autonomy. I also talk with Hatim about the current state of employer labor relations and the future impact of digital platforms on employment, including a prediction by Hatim that might already be true by the time this podcast airs. I hope that you enjoy this episode of The Lit Review and my discussion with Hatim Rahman. My guest today on The Lit Review podcast is Hatim Rahman, an assistant professor of management and organizations at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. His research investigates how artificial intelligence undergirded by algorithms is impacting the nature of work and employment relationships in organizations and labor markets. Since graduating with his PhD from Stanford, his research and teaching have received numerous awards. Here I get to embarrass him a bit, uh, including an NSF Career Award uh, and also named one of the best 40 business school professors under 40 by Poets and Quants. Uh, Hatim, welcome to the Lit Review podcast. Thank you so much, and thanks for the generous introduction. It's my pleasure. It's very easy. It's very easy. And also, you're at my alma mater, so I, I feel uh, I can't, we're, we're kindred spirits right now. How cold is it right there? Is is it there in Evanston these days? Well, with, with climate, uh, global change, climate warming, we're actually experiencing, uh, experiencing unseasonably warmth. We've, we've been in the 70s last couple oh, of weeks. No. I, I I'm I'm sad that I asked because by now when I was there as a PhD student it was it was hitting the 50s and and, and trending down uh, quickly the, so the, the sweaters were out by now right <laughs> yeah so I'm happy for you but I mourn for our, our our world I guess I'd like to start by discussing the forthcoming AMJ paper that you have with Tim Weiss and Arvind Karunakaran that looks at how experimentation on digital labor platforms impacts worker autonomy. So I'm going to try and summarize your paper in like two seconds, but uh, correct Thanks. anything uh, if, if I go astray. Sure. So uh, you start the paper by suggesting that companies often run experiments uh, with their employees to test new practices. And oftentimes these experiments will impinge upon the autonomy of, of workers in some way. Um, and, and usually workers can navigate this by leaning on interpersonal relationships that they have with others at work. But then I think your paper does a, uh, an interesting thing by, you know, questioning to what extent does this happen when you're in a more disconnected workplace? And so um, you can think about, you know, just working more remotely and companies are doing this more um, and you choose a really interesting setting. And so you have this really rich kind of qualitative uh, study where you investigate this from a worker's perspective within uh, a digital labor platform. Uh, so before we get into the paper, I, I do want to ask, what got you interested in the topic of worker autonomy uh, and digital platforms? Yeah, thanks for that question. So, you know, I, I since I did my PhD at Stanford in, you know, in the, I guess, 2000, uh, mid-2010 to 20 timeframe, 
there there is a lot of rhetoric about the gig economy more broadly and the future of work entailing a situation where workers will have almost full autonomy, right? We get to choose our schedule. Mm-hmm. We get to choose what we work on, when we work on. So I was swimming in that rhetoric and I was actually in the engineering school. So a lot of the people there were the ones who were designing these systems and in, in good faith, I think with good intentions, envisioning this future. And the ethos of my PhD training and my research is to look at what's happening on the ground. And so that's the approach I took. And when I started to do that, I, I, I kind of was believing the rhetoric of like, oh, wow, you know, it's kind of so great that people can choose when they want to work, how much, well, uh, what platforms they want to work. And so what hit me really quickly was a lot of the rhetoric did not match workers' experiences. And so wanting to highlight and, and understand the conditions and circumstances where actually both are true. Mm-hmm. You know, workers do feel uh, some of the positives that occur with this shift to the gig economy, yeah. remote work, so on and so forth. But even as we've seen, uh, you know, in, in our own uh, experiences, there's usually more to it than just yeah. the positives. No, that's that's true. And and I'm always um, fascinated by how how often my research questions will be motivated by, man, this is the third Wall Street Journal article I've read about this. And they're all taking the same angle. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, does anyone really check that out? Right. And so oftentimes swimming in the rhetoric, as you put it, really does kind of get the, the, the juices flowing on the research side. So what do you think were the key findings from your paper? And it's a, it's a great paper. I, I urge everyone to, to check it out. It really is a great read. But uh, what do you think were the key findings that you people should take away from the paper? Thanks. So one of the fundamental findings that we have is revealing what we call different experimentation regimes. Mm-hmm. And the reason we, we use that word, actually, shout out to one of our reviewers, was just to highlight from a worker's perspective how they experienced different types of experimentation companies run. And so the three key experimentation regimes that we highlighted was one was what we call explicit experimentation regime. And this is what a lot of people are familiar with, with beta testing in which you ask people to opt in into different types of new features that a company or policies that a company or a platform wants to test. So that's that's the the, the first one that we found was, and it coincided when the, the organization and platform we were observing was just starting out. And so as, as maybe existing theory would predict, that generally enhanced workers' autonomy because they were able to express their ideas and the corporation incorporated it into their product features. And, and it really, I think, we, there's some evidence that helped them scale and improve the platform. So that's the first. So one is this experimentation regimes. Um, and the second one that we uncovered was what we called a concealed experimentation regime in which instead of the participation being voluntary, it became a sign where where you no longer were told whether you're being uh, participating in an experiment or not. So if you logged on, you know, you could be assigned a condition, a, tr- a treatment condition where you know, the availability of your status is being experimented on where others didn't. So that's the second concealed. And then the third uh, experimentation regime that we uncovered is what we call unbounded, 
where it's no longer like a specific feature that's being tested, mm-hmm. but the frequency and scope of experimentation is now continuous and expansive. Yeah. So, so I think those three experimentation regimes is one of the central findings. And then, you know, we 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 kind of lead the paper with this is where we, uh, I guess, the, the if you, to zoom out the macro thing that we want to take people away from is that where we kind of put forward this metaphor of the experimental hand, where, you know, kind of tying back to previous metaphors of the invisible hand, experimentation can shape people's experiences and autonomy in unexpected ways, in second-ordered ways that aren't necessarily captured with the intended effects of experimentation. Yeah, and I love the experimental hand. Shout out to the invisible, the visible. Uh, I think those are the two hands that I'm uh, I'm most aware of. So now we have a third one. And you you make some interesting or paint at least an interesting picture, I think, about maybe what are some of the long term effects that mm-hmm. experimentation has on on work or autonomy. And so, you know, I was curious since you kind of uh, broached that topic, what do you think is the role of the digital labor platforms as we think about kind of the 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 time that we're in? It's fairly tumultuous, a lot yeah. of employer labor relations. Yeah. things in the news. Um, and it it seems as if there is a, you know, a great renegotiation happening. I know we, yeah. we, we were on the great, the great resignation and now right. we're in the great renegotiation. Yeah. Um, and so what do you think is the role of, of digital labor platforms? And maybe tell us a little bit about what digital labor platforms are examples so that people can kind of understand it. Sure. And I, I want to answer that in two parts. One, when you said the long-term effects, and this, I think, is also one of the main contributions of our paper, is that a lot of times when organizations are implementing an experiment, you know, you define the research question, the hypothesis, and the dependent variables in a very confined manner. Mm-hmm. And so you are able to see, you know, what is the uh, effect of, of one experiment in, in a bounded domain. But w- when we looked at this longitudinally across, what, 15, 16 years, is when we began to see, well, no, it's like for, for these workers, when they're continuously exposed to these experiments, it's no longer about measuring their, or it's not necessarily no longer. In addition to looking at the the bounded, you know, one experiment, we're able to kind of trace out these longer term effects. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's one thing I just wanted to mention that I think is relevant. So the second thing on the digital platform side, the reason that I found this to be very generative is because I, I very... I think there's a lot of evidence is that it provides a microcosm of of the broader dynamics that we see playing out in society. Mm -hmm. So because on the digital realm, there, you know, from from maybe an economist perspective, there is very little transaction cost. So you could test out an idea very simply, very easily. And in fact, in, in the paper, we have a footnote talking about how Uber prominently says that they do a thousand experiments at any one time. Yeah, uh, they're running simultaneously, right? There's a very quote unquote little little cost, but I, I think again the dynamics we see are play out more more generally and spill over, especially as our our digital and offline, so to speak, life are are more and more integrated. Mm-hmm. So let, let me just give you one example, right? So while we were writing this paper, and it was in the review process, it came out that LinkedIn was was running an experiment for over five years, 20 million users, so on and so forth. And it, and it turns out that the experiment had a real effect on people's ability to get jobs. 
right offline mm-hmm. so there mm-hmm. so i mean there, there's a lot there's a lot been reported on it but one of the takeaways that that reporters highlighted and we were like oh well, just wait for our paper to come out because we talked exactly <laughs> about this uh-huh. was was they, they contacted linkedin and they asked like did you account for the effect that real workers some of them had more opportunities and others didn't and we know mm-hmm. from a lot of research that the opportunities you get especially early on in your career and even later on they have an outsized impact on you know your social mobility your your income mobility so yeah. on and so forth so I, I, I and sorry if i went too too broad there but no. i i think that a lot of the dynamics we're seeing they're playing out again you know with with generative ai now and and you know we saw this with you know it's in the news a lot with with the writers strike mm-hmm. so a lot of the issues are are very similar in that yeah. the fact that all of a sudden all of the things that we were producing on the quote unquote offline world now accessible online is subject to experimentation and yeah. and questions about autonomy get get played out there very saliently so a couple of things that i, I wrote down as, as you were kind of uh noting it like one of the interesting pieces of this as an academic reading about is because we love experimentation right so academics love it but we have this thing called the institutional review board Mm-hmm. And uh, IRB, it's uh, the three letters that I think academics fear even more than IRS. Uh, so <laughs> IRB, and part of why the IRB is there is to make sure that in in these experiments that we we dream up, there's not material harm to participants. That's right. And what is interesting about the idea of experimentation within the corporate space is there is no IRB, That's and right. so uh, if uh, the people designing it haven't thought through things, then you can have uh, things like this, like what LinkedIn kind of faced as well. And so, you know, maybe more academics need to be hired by LinkedIn. No, I won't say that. But <laughs> I think, you know, the idea of experimentation or doing it in a uh, responsible way is another kind of key takeaway that I got uh, that, from your paper as well. That's right. And so one of the things that I, I like some reviewers mentioned, and, and again, the review process can be... <laughs> Very beneficial, and actually, yeah. I had a, we we I think that our review process was fantastic and helping us enhance our ideas. You hear that, that, all th- authors? Sorry, plug for AMJ and uh, the review process. Uh, an author just said it was great, so send your papers here. All right, sorry, continue. That's right, that's right. It can happen. It can happen, um, especially at AMJ, right? So you know, we're. This is the other thing that, as a as a researcher, we try to bring forward is that. A lot of times what happens in the digital, it seems new. It seems like, wow, this is happening. But we do have a lot that we can learn. And if you think about when I mentioned concealed, unbounded experimentation, right? Mm. If you look at the Tuskegee ex- experiments, mm. um, the Stanford prison experiment, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, that's what was happening. That that medical researchers, academic researchers, they were kind of doing whatever they wanted. Yeah. And, yeah. and not thinking through some of these things. And so... One of the points that we that we that the reviewer uh, asked us to articulate more in our discussion was to make these linkages more clear, mm-hmm. and in in the recommendations to our, to organizations, and that there is a lot that we can learn from the medical sciences in academic research, and that the, we we went through decades of trying to put in more robust procedures in place to try to balance the needs to run experiments, and we're very mm-hmm. clear in that there are benefits to experiments yeah. while balancing workers subjects the public's interests and our 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 hope is our and our point in the, one of the contributions of the paper is in the digital realm 
we we don't want to see the Tuskegee equivalent or or the Stanford Prison experiment. Before that happens, we hope that there can be changes in place that that can balance the interests of both sides more yeah. harmoniously. So this is great. All right. So and this leads uh, into another question I want to ask, which is, again, taking a step back, experimentation, right? That is thought to be tightly connected to innovation, right? And so the most innovative companies we know are ones that try, they experiment. I mean, we just talked about LinkedIn, you talked about Uber. I mean, these are platforms that have, in essence, been some, you know, change the way we travel and change the way we find jobs. Um, And so your work kind of suggests that it can lead to less autonomy, right? And it takes a a, a worker-centric perspective, which I think is also uh, something that maybe is a little more rare in our field than it than it should be but it seems counterintuitive right experimentation should be good innovation should be good but you're saying you know when we have the unbounded right this 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 last kind of regime that yeah. it can lead to less autonomy which should lead to less innovative activity right the less autonomy right. i have That's so right. this seems counterintuitive so can you help me and us uh, yeah. make sense of, of of that. Like, what what are, what am I missing there? Yeah. So I I think there are two things. Let me start with again because we showcase the workers' experience. Is that when when you start to look at not just one experiment, but look at their experiences, you know, especially workers and users who have been using it for for longer stretch of, stretches of time, is that they're really smart. They know they they begin to see what's going on and what are the contours and boundaries that they're aware of and things that they're they're not aware of. And so for especially in situations and circumstances where people are relying or their livelihoods are at stake. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at a labor platform where they're trying to get work, they're trying to get income. And a lot of people rely on them to different degrees, but nonetheless, they rely on it for their income and work. Mm-hmm. They don't want to jeopardize that. And so when they come onto the platform and now they know that anything can be subject to an experiment, they be, become they they can become more restrictive in what they're willing to try. So in related work, I kind of show how people are less willing to work with new clients, for example, right? Because they 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 don't know necessarily what's going on and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And it, everyone ends up losing out in that situation and circumstance, right? If you're not able to observe, quote unquote, the natural behavior of participants, you, you, what you are picking up could be noise. And, and so this actually relates to, to this point of, you know, one of the fundamental assumptions, and you, you can articulate it this better than I, than I can, is independence between treatment groups, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where people don't necessarily know or not, especially in, in a field experiment, aren't always, you know, they, they don't know necessarily what the other treatments are, so they can't have uh, what we call in sociology reactivity, right? They can't react to it. And so this is one of the things that we highlight is as people become aware that anything is subject to experimentation, Mm. they they begin to think like, oh, everything they're seeing, they should view it in the realm of this could be an experiment and they should be very carefully think about what what could potentially happen in the short and long term, right? So yeah. that's something that we highlight in our discussion as well, is that even for, for organizations that are implementing this, that they, they have to be more conscious and aware that people are changing their, their behavior in ways that what they're measuring doesn't necessarily correlate to the actual behavior. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea of a, of a suspicious employee, right? Someone that, and I've experienced this, 
in other kind of aspects of life where you're like, all, right, all of a sudden, I'm getting a lot more, you know, clients coming in the morning. Hmm. Yeah. What is the platform doing? What are they What are they up to? What's going yeah. on here? And they become suspect of why you're here. Why is my traffic higher? Why am I getting more podcast downloads? Are these yeah. bots? Are these? And that suspicion can decrease my willingness to engage in the platform and also my willingness to trust people and other things that I'm seeing. That's right. And as that decreases, then the, the value of the platform decreases, right? So yeah. I guess, you know, one of the key takeaways I see is, you know, the people building these platforms and platforms are everywhere, Lord help us. Recognizing that experimentation is good, but when it can, there, there definitely some kind of a curvilinear effect yeah, around this right. and, uh, and, and going too far in that third regime, as you talked about, um, can actually lead, lead to some, uh, seeding, s- sowing the, own, the seeds of, of your own downfall for the, for the platform. Yeah. A, a lot of platforms and we've seen this, you know, pretty much in every major platform, right. With, with Google or Amazon, other things like that, mm-hmm. that, they are kind of relying on the fact that they're the dominant player on the market, right? In that they're right now they have network effects. We saw that a little bit with Twitter, and and, that, and I mean that's getting getting severely tested. But at at some point, if there is if there if alternatives arise, you know the nature of the, of these platforms are such that there are very brittle ties with you know the participants or their workers mm-hmm. that people will be willing to 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 change if there is a credible alternative now that's a big if yeah. you know we've seen that in the amazon space we've seen that on the google space mm-hmm. they have been very dominant for a very long time and alternatives have tried but it's very hard to break in yeah and we've kind of seen that playing out with legislation right we have a huge antitrust lawsuit going on yep. uh right now between the government and google and and many other companies apple's uh iStore so I think, I mean, our point is like, you know, we hopefully platforms and organizations don't wait for that to happen, right? Yeah. Um, that they can improve earlier on. And in in kind of the counterintuitive side, one of the, the, the key takeaways and one of the earlier questions that we kind of talked, what was surprising to us is that, you know, going back to kind of the, the theory side of things is that generally speaking, like a worker's status and success can insulate them to some ex- to some extent, right? Like we've seen this in our like you know maybe full professors or or you know physicians, they're able to kind of to some extent insulate themselves from from new technology or, or changes that occur in ways that 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 help them. But on in the digital platform side, and we see this again on the with writers and actors, no matter how high status or how much success you have, you're still subject to this type of experimentation. Hmm. in ways that don't necessarily insulate you or protect you from the yeah. changes that are occurring. All right. Well, that that's good. I have one last question. This I, I want you to get into the prediction business. Do you believe, you know, we had big oil, we had uh, big telecom, and both of those got broken up. Do you think we're going to see a similar breaking of monopoly for platforms? Do you think that's something that we'll see uh, in the near future? Historically, it shows that that is the trend we're headed, right? Yeah. It's very, very hard, all the way going back to the railroads, probably in the industry before that, right? Yeah. It's very difficult for people inside to be able to self-regulate in ways that are productive, right? It's clear that there there should be changes mm-hmm. for for you know almost in any setting. And again, just to connect with another platform we're all familiar with, with Airbnb, right? We saw in New York and other cities that it it ended up 
you know, kind of leading to suboptimal outcomes for residents, for people from from uh, lower income or in in more precarious positions, then they're getting priced out and getting even further gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've seen this play out, unfortunately, in many instances in industries that you need some sort of third party, whether that, that could be government, that could be rating agencies. We, there's a lot of you know research on that. That that kind of push these ways in, 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 in productive ways. And, you know, I, maybe I've been reading a little bit more on this, that in the short term for organizations, it can be very painful. Yeah. But in the long term, it can be very beneficial, right? Like if you look at Microsoft, Microsoft didn't die with that very severe um, and, antitrust that they're subject to. It mm-hmm. took them time. But yep. you know, look, look who, look who's diversified into yeah. other areas and is and <laughs> yeah. is is kind of gone to more risky, risky areas that benefited the organization, right? Yeah. So, so the short answer is yes. I do think we're going to see the breaking up in more uh, either third party or governmental regulation to kind of uh, prod this to occur. All right, I'm clipping this this piece right here. I'm going to bring it back. When it happens, I'll say like, oh, Tim, he he, he knew. He knew back in 2023. <laughs> All right, I'm going to close you out on uh, these last two questions. Uh, yeah. So the first is just thinking about what's piquing your curiosity these days, right? Uh, we talked a little yep. earlier about phenomena that we observe and don't understand. So is there anything right now that uh, really piques your curiosity? Yeah. So uh, more more broad, broadly, my research looks at future work, how technology is changing that, and so this kind of relates to the career, the NSF career award that I was talking about, is that the extent to which we're going to be able to reimagine, so to speak, the future of work, we're going to have to figure out how to get more people who have been left behind into higher paying jobs. For better or worse, employment remains the primary mechanism by which people obtain mobility. And, you know, if, if history is going to play itself out again, what's going to happen and what, what I hope I hope my research can hopefully uh, kind of change the direction on is that people with higher skills, higher degrees are going to reap the benefits of AI and new technology. Mm-hmm. And people who are lower skills or don't have a college degree, they're going to get the quote unquote digital janitor jobs. And I don't want to see that happen for, for the future. And so I'm really interested and there are there has been momentum with organizations recognizing this as well, particularly with the labor shortage thinking more creatively about how can we get adults who don't have a college degree to get higher paying jobs? How can we reskill them in the quote unquote age of AI in which there are a lot of exciting opportunities, uh, but thinking more from the organizational and policy side for how we can try to ensure, again, more people can benefit from the future of work. So that's one that, that that's kind of that I'm thinking more about developing new projects around. Such low hanging fruit, just <laughs> social mobility uh, in the in the cusp in the age of uh, rampant capitalism. You that's really right. need to aim higher, Hatim. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's great. Um, okay, last one. Um, what are you reading right now for fun? So I, I can answer the question the question directly. So right now I'm reading a book called Atlas of Atlas AI by by Kate Crawford. That so, does not sound like fun reading. So, that sounds like research reading. Well. So the thing, the thing is, is that, you know, as you know, we, we, we say it's a labor of love, right? So mm-hmm. I really do uh, have a lot of interest in the, in the topics that, that I'm in, reading it, but I like to read from, from different perspectives. I do find it fun to, to read from, you know, so uh, this is from Kate Crawford, who is, comes more from an STS background. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think it's super interesting to think about like, 
you know, like there, she's thinking about like what are the planetary costs mm-hmm. of 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 AI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, it's not fun in the entertainment sense, but it is fun from the expands expanding or like thinking about it in a way that you know, as scholars train in a certain discipline, a certain area, are are never. Um, really thinking about that angle but i think that also reflects the fact that i have kids right and Mm -hmm. so what i'm reading for fun tends to be you know franklin the turtle and (laughs) you know you got young kids yeah yeah right so 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 uh time is limited in in leisure you know kind of uh reading but uh, but I will put a plug out for like in terms of like fun watching uh i i do i do really like a lot of sci-fi areas because i do think like sci-fi is really amazing at, at like reimagining what's possible. Yeah, and they may not get it exactly right, but they're usually really, really good mm-hmm. at figuring that out, right? So like upload on Amazon was something that that uh, one of my students told me about that mm-hmm. was uh, really good. So a lot of the ones that have come out recently, yeah. um, of course, Black Mirror is a classic, right? Yeah. Um, uh, they, have you watched Severance? Severance is a great one too. I yeah. recently watched it this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was so. I, I okay. again, I, I put a lot of credit to kind of the sci-fi uh, in, in general. And my my sister, you know, often when I tell her about some of my research, she's like, "Oh, have you seen the Star Trek episode?" I'm like, <laughs> "I haven't, but I, I bet that they were right on about this." Yeah, that's considered research, my friend. You that's can do right. it. When I was that's doing right. my dissertation and studying the advertising industry, watching Mad Men was considered research time to me, at that's least. Cool. So that's right. That's right. There you go. All right. Well, I can tell you as the kids get older, the reading that you do with them gets better. And so, uh, (laughs) over pandemic, I read all of uh, Harry Potter with my kids and getting to re re dive, you know, dive back into that world with them was, uh, was a lot of fun. So a lot of my, I can't wait for that. Yeah. It's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, so thanks so much for your time. And uh, it was great uh, talking to you and catching up and hearing more about uh, your very interesting research. And thanks for hosting, facilitating. I mean, I know it's interesting, but it is a service to our profession that uh, myself and others benefit from. So thank you so much. It is a labor of love, as you said. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. All right. That's it for the Lit Review. I appreciate Tim for his time and I appreciate you all for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Lit Review podcast. You can find this podcast by searching The Lit Review, an AMJ podcast on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast platforms, as well as on the AMJ homepage. You can also follow us on Twitter or X, where we have a weekly spaces show called AMJ Radio Live, which is hosted on the AOM Connect account. I'll be joining the show once a month to provide a behind-the-scenes look at the podcast and answer any listener questions. Thank you to the Academy of Management for their support for this podcast. Special thanks to my producer, Holly Fearing, for all of her work behind the scenes, making this podcast sound incredible. Our theme music is produced by Key to Life. This is Seiku. See you next time. Take care and be good.